Hello, welcome back everybody to Maximum Sports. I am your host, Max Batillo. Thank you so much for joining me on this Tuesday. I hope everyone is staying healthy, staying safe out there. And I appreciate you guys so much for uh, being a part of my day and, and coming in. And I hope I can provide a little entertainment in a lot of people's downtime that we're having. So we've got a great show for you today. Thank you so much for being here. And we've got the draft. It looks like it's going to proceed forward. And the NFL is going to try to make it work with all the logistics and things they have to do. Uh, looks like they're going to have a virtual draft and it's going to be pretty interesting to see how they put it all together. That's on April 23rd, the weekend of April 23rd. So it's just a couple weeks away and you know, they're going to have to figure out how to get basically all these teams they have their own facilities and between all the scouts, the GMs, the coaching staffs, consultants, the owners and their people, they're all in these draft rooms and there's I I think there's around like a hundred people in in a draft room. It's huge. And none of them are gonna really be able to be together for the most part, I don't think. So that's gonna be a virtual draft, everyone online on, you know, these, uh, zoom, you know, technologies, video cameras and all that. And we're just going to have to see how it goes. It's going to be weird, but I'm really glad that they are doing it. We're still going to have a draft and hopefully once all this blows over, hopefully we can still have an NFL season. And so just taking it day by day and, and learning what we can. And we will proceed with our show, and this is going to be a good one. So uh, I wanted to start with this, and I wanted to start with what's called bias. And if you haven't noticed by now, uh, I am a Seahawks fan. And I wanted to, when I started this show, I wanted to make sure that I downplayed you know, my favorite team for the first episodes of the show in an effort to be as objective as possible in my judgments of teams around the league. Uh, But today we're going to be going, we're going to dig deep into the Seahawks. And so, you know, they're, they're our next draft team. And so I thought it would be a good time for me to tell you that that's my team. And, you know, we all have biases. We, uh, you know, and decisions we make and conversations we have throughout the day, we all have our own narratives of what we believe in and what, and, you know, we are biased towards those beliefs. So, you know, there are some media members out there who, you know, say they're neutral so as to be objective when they cover their teams And unfortunately for them, you know, saying you have no bias towards anything is actually just another bias. And it goes against being human, really. I mean, no one is 
completely objective on anything. They're going to stand by some sort of dogma, some sort of belief that they have. And I heard a good quote from Colin Cowherd recently, and it says, we need to focus on getting it right, not being right. So when things go wrong is when we let our biases cloud our judgment of the truth, or at least getting closer to the truth. You know, when our egos don't want to admit when we're wrong is when we go we go down the path of ignorance. And, you know, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm sure I have biases towards them, but that doesn't mean I can't at least try to be as objective as possible. You know, the key to admitting when we're wrong, the, the key is admitting when we're wrong and learning from it. That's how you grow in everything. And so it takes ownership uh, to of your mistakes. Uh, that's the only way you can grow is if you realize you made a mistake. And so, you know, when I started this show and I said, you know, Russell Wilson was the best quarterback in the league, number one on my ratings, you know, I got a little pushback or, you know, people kind of rolling their eyes, you know, that's just Max being a homer, you know. But now, I mean, aside from maybe Mahomes, is there even an argument who the best QB is? Not really. You know, I was objectively rating these quarterbacks how I really felt. And it just so happened the number one quarterback is on my favorite team. And, you know, I detailed all those reasons of why they're rated where they are. And, you know, if Russell Wilson comes out and plays like anything but the best, I'll be the first to admit I was wrong. And we, you know, I mean, Mahomes won the Super Bowl and he led his team and had an incredible season. I actually put him number one on our last rankings. But Russell's right there. I still, I think they're 1A and 1B maybe. Or I, I still think Russell is doing more with less around him. But, you know, the whole point, we should just try to be objective while embracing our biases, I think. You can't, you don't deny the biases in your opinions, but you need to make sure you're constantly questioning them and making sure you are getting it right and not trying to be right. And, you know, Skip Bayless, you probably all know who he is. He's very open about being a Cowboys fan, which I respect. And I think that it actually makes people watch him more. It brings the audience in and, you know, whether you love the Cowboys or hate the Cowboys, you're going to watch what Skip Bayless has to say about them. But as far as media that I would look to for insight and true knowledge, uh, Skip Bayless is probably the last, the last one I'd look to for real knowledge or insight on anything. I mean, he, he really lets his bias for the Cowboys cloud his judgment. I mean, all season long, season after season, you know, it, I know that if my Seahawks were as bad and as poorly ran as Dallas, that I'd be ripping them on all my shows. And I, I like to think that I would be if they were as bad as Dallas, you know, I hold myself accountable for that. And, you know, if my Seahawks couldn't win, you know, the worst division in football, 
I, I wouldn't pretend they were good, you know, like Skip does with Dallas. So I, I won't deny my bias, but I will also not be ruled by it. And that's just something that, you know, I see even local media guys, you know, here in Seattle that try to say that they don't root for a team or the team, the hometown teams because they want to be more objective. And that, that's just a lie. And you're not rooting for the team that you're covering. It just, it feels odd. There's guys that claim it and that you just can't really trust that because it's against human nature to not have a rooting interest in some form or another. There's no way you are not a computer. You can't just completely turn off any biases you have. But, you know, there's different ranges, you know, you could be, it could be clouding your judgment. And so I think it's silly when guys pretend they don't root for a team and I think they should embrace it. And that's what I'm doing right now. And, you know, Seahawks are my team and I'll hold them to the same standard, hopefully, that I do the rest of the teams. And it just so happens that the Seahawks, in my opinion, are incredibly well run. They they definitely have their flaws. There's no question. And I've pointed those out before. And then I'll point them out in just a little bit too. But they are on the winning side of things for sure, as opposed to a lot of the other teams we cover. So that being said, we got that. Um, and, uh, you know, let's cover our next draft team which is the Seattle Seahawks. And so the Seahawks are going to pick 27th and in the first round. And um, it's, you know, the the first round is, uh, the order is kind of not exactly what we're doing. We're just trying to cover all the teams, basically, because there's some teams, like the Rams, who aren't going to have a pick in the first round for a couple years. But we still have to talk about them. Just because they're not picking in the first round doesn't mean we're not going to cover the Rams. So I will talk about the Rams, probably one of the last teams, uh, even though they don't have a first round pick. So it's not really draft order, but it's just making sure we cover all the teams. And so the Seahawks, you know, we always start with offensive line, uh, pro football focus. That's what I use as my reference. They had the Seahawks ranked the 27th uh, best offensive line last year. I think that the highest uh, offensive line rank that the Seahawks have ever had with Russell Wilson in his eight seasons, I think the highest was 25. And so obviously the Seahawks' biggest issue this whole run they've had with the regime of John Schneider and Pete Carroll is they've really struggled to improve the offensive line. I think that's been well documented. Everyone kind of knows that. No one can really deny that. And I definitely agree. I think that one of the reasons that I prioritize offensive lines play so much is from what I've seen over the years from the Seahawks. And it's it's a deep, um, uh, over time, philosophical reflection of how they viewed the offensive line before and they have tweaked it and they are viewing it differently now and I think it could pay off for them 
But what happened in the early days was that they had Tom Cable was their offensive line coordinator. Daryl Bevel was the offensive coordinator. They were co-coordinators. And Tom Cable had, they were running a lot of zone blocking schemes. You know, they did all the read option stuff with Russell a lot and Marshawn Lynch. And zone blocking, when you do a lot of it, it requires your linemen to be pretty athletic. They need to cover zones as opposed to man-to-man blocking. And they they needed their linemen to move really well. And so they drafted linemen who could move better than others. That's what they prioritized. And what happens when a guy can move a little better is that typically he's a little smaller. And they drafted, you know, a lot of guys who, you know, obviously James Carpenter guard was huge and he would, he would fit great in this scheme right now. But, you know, the guys they drafted, you know, Russell Okun, he was okay. Um, Justin Britt, uh, you know, it's, Moffitt, there's a lot of guys they drafted over the years that just did not pan out at all. Um, And they were kind of more athletic, but they didn't have enough power. And they, when you're trying to go for athleticism, your probability of getting a guy who's going to be more athletic than a defensive lineman he's trying to block is really slim. And so your chance of hitting on a great draft pick of a lineman who's extremely, is able to move really well, He's still probably not going to be athletic enough to block these great defensive linemen out there. Like an Aaron Donald. How are you going to block him? Um, and so that that led to a deterioration of the line. And, you know, they, they, were, they were still did well. I mean, they still had some of the top rushing offenses, you know, we've seen. A lot of that had to do with having a Hall of Fame running back, Marshawn Lynch, and having a Hall of Fame quarterback who is one of the most mobile quarterbacks. And those two functions allowed them to just be that good at still running the football, even though they did ha- did not have great blocking. And the defense had to account for both those guys on every play. And that just makes it so difficult to defend. And they took advantage. Play action, all that. They've always been top-notch at that. And... So it lasted, you know, I mean, it won won them a Super Bowl, made it to another one, won them a few division titles. They've made the playoffs almost every year. And then it started to deteriorate where you started to lose some of those. um, the, the, The line basically just totally gave way and you weren't able to protect Russell at all. And as Russell was getting better as a passer, they wanted to throw more, and you know he he's always been sacked a lot because he hangs onto the ball to make big plays, and the sack rate just went up quite a bit, and it just it broke their offense a lot, and so now you get to about 2017, it's deteriorated so much they they actually missed the playoffs, and they. They fired Tom Cable and they brought in Mike Soleri, and the philosophy is different now, and they are going for as big as they can get, as powerful as they can get. It's more man-to-man blocking, 
and they're just going to push people around a lot of times using six offensive linemen, seven offensive linemen. They had George Fant playing tight end, who was a left tackle, and they'd plug in those guys and just push forward. And that way, that philosophy of getting the bigger lineman, the more powerful one, you're much more likely, I think, this is theory, but hitting on a a guy in the draft who's a big mover, downfield blocker, uh, you don't need to find the best athlete necessarily, but just there are more good, powerful linemen to choose from than there are really athletic uh, blockers. So it's it's kind of a, what's the probability? I think that this is going to lead to better gains on their offensive line than the, the philosophy they had before. And so it remains to be seen. They've made moves with Mike Solari under the helm of the offensive line now. And we'll see if it pays off. Uh, looks, they moved on from Jermaine Effetti, who was right tackle. He was drafted by Tom Cable. Uh, Justin Britt's still hanging in there, but they brought in DJ Fluker, Mike Upati. That was Those were both excellent moves they made, especially in run blocking, and those were both Solari picks. Dwayne Brown was also under Solari when they made that move. He's been their best left tackle in a long time and so we're gonna I think we're gonna see the Seahawks they they've made some trades a bunch of guys that they traded for on the line that I've never even heard of they were backups but it just you know they are scouting the entire league and they picked up some guys in the free agency and and we'll see you know they were handpicked by Mike Solari and you know those scouts are looking out there and so we'll see how those guys turn out. They did pick up Chance Warmack, who's massive, and he was a, a he missed all of last season due to injuries. Uh, he's a guard, and we'll see how he hangs in there and, and see if he can be healthy. He is a good player when healthy. So that's the offensive line, which is you know our number one priority on the show. It's the number one priority for the Seahawks to improve as well and I think next is I mean the Seahawks on defense just were not good last year which is shocking to see every other year of the Pete Carroll era there they've been a top notch defense and it has slowly deteriorated since some of the you know well-known players have gotten older moved on injuries and poor drafting. I mean, they have not been successful at drafting a impact defensive lineman. And the Malik McDowell pick was a gigantic. He had no contribution at all, which is rare to happen. Uh, but they they picked uh, their first round pick last year. I can't even remember his name off the top of my head. But. He uh, didn't contribute hardly at all last year either. And so they haven't drafted D linemen very well. And so that makes me feel like they do need to maybe rely on free agency a little bit. They brought back Bruce Irvin. That pass rush, if you have a great pass rush, it alleviates any kind of holes around your defense. If you have secondary issues, 
if you have linebacker issues, if you have, if you can get to the quarterback and affect the quarterback, that it your guys aren't going to have to cover as much, and I mean you stop the run with those defensive linemen first. It it's just the most important group on defense. You've got to get that defensive line right. I mean, their their leading sack guy last year uh, was Green, uh, Rasheem Green. And I think he had like five sacks or something. Jadavion Clowney had like three sacks. Jaron Reed missed six games because of suspension. They've re-signed him. Uh, he has potential in 2018. He had 10 sacks. Last year, I don't. I think he only had maybe one. So he dropped off and only he only played, you know, he missed six games. So they're betting. They did get him at a decent price. Um, he'll be about, he'll cost about $9 million, um for this next cap number year. But they need to, uh, I mean, everyone wants them to sign Clowney. And I that would be good for them to do that. But it has to be at the right price, and the Seahawks are pretty good about being disciplined on their prices. They tend to not overpay for people as much as most teams. They're not one of those first wave free agency teams that that end up. They they really try to get value for their guys. So Kalani would help. I think that there's. I think it's intriguing to see from the Jaguars and uh, and is the defensive end for the Jaguars. He's been pretty pretty good for them. And he's coming out and saying he doesn't want to be a Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he, he's been franchised by them. So Yannick Ngakwe, the Seahawks could maybe do a thing that they did last year with Clowney, who was franchise tagged by the Texans. They trade for him. They, um, they take, I mean, they got Clowney for nothing last year. It was incredible. And they could do the same with Ngakwe. That's kind of my prediction, is they might trade for him. He saying he wants to be on a winning team. A lot of players that want to be on a winning team, they end up coming to the Seahawks. And so you make a trade for Ngakwe. If you can sign Clowney, then you have Jaron Reed. And, and, and then kind of you can address that in the draft as well. So then things start to kind of round out for that defensive line. If you can make some moves and additions, you got Bruce Irvin, you got some depth, and hopefully the Seahawks can improve their pass rush, which is going to just alleviate a lot of things on their back end. In their secondary, a lot of people don't talk about this, but their their nickel situation, uh, the most of the league runs – Nickel, which means you have five defensive backs or uh, on the field. Um, you've got your two safeties, you've got your two corners, and then you have that fifth uh, nickel corner. And most teams run that most of the time. And the Seahawks ran what is considered their base defense with three linebackers instead of that nickel corner. And a lot of people were upset they felt like, Pete, why are you running base defense? We're getting gashed on the passing attack all game. Guys were wide open across the middle of the field. We didn't have enough speed on the field to cover enough ground. 
and we because we had too many linebackers out there and people wanted them to fire Ken Norton and I kind of looked at it and said well we lost uh, our nickel corner from the year before Justin Coleman and he ended up getting the most money for a nickel corner of that season in free agency afterward we lost him and he was great he went to the Lions so the Seahawks it was more of a function of them not having the personnel to run nickel they didn't have a good enough corner that they relied on and that losing Justin Coleman was huge for that so it was more they had to play base defense because they trusted their linebackers more than they trusted who they had would be playing that nickel corner. And that really is just what you have to do sometimes. You don't have the personnel to run certain things. You can't just throw guys out there. And if you don't trust them, I mean, it could be even worse. And so, you know, they've always kind of had that bend but don't break defense. And it just was breaking a lot last year. A lot of big 20-yard gash plays. I've never seen wide receivers so open against a defense than they were against the Seahawks last year. They trade for Quentin Dunbar. That was an amazing trade. He was the second highest rated only to Richard Sherman, ironically, um, on Pro Football Focus. So hopefully he can come in. They had Shaquille Griffin, who had his best season last year. He's improving. It's not perfect with him, but he hopefully can keep improving. And between those two corners, they should be good. I like what I saw from Marquise Blair at safety. They traded for Quandre Diggs, and he's a solid safety. And so hopefully Blair um, could be that kind of strong safety with McDougald, Bradley McDougald. And I think McDougald is maybe regressing a little bit. He's getting a little older. But you've got Marquise Blair you drafted, and he, he, he likes to hit and play that kind of camp chancellor role in that defense. So... Improving the offensive line, improving that pass rush, and trying to solidify that secondary. Try to, if you can get a nickel corner, or maybe Dunbar could play nickel. Uh, hopefully, they have the personnel to be able to throw those great corners that Pete Carroll is so known for developing. Throw them out there, and you just make these steps. You make these improvements slowly. On offense, I mean, we'll see how the running backs recover from their injuries. They had a huge rash of injuries come down. Uh, Chris Carson, we'll see how he recovers. They need that run game, so play action for Russell Wilson. And they can keep their movement in in the passing game. Russell's still going to run around and make plays. DK Metcalf was a great player last year. Great pick by them. Tyler Lockett. Uh, Philip Dorsett is a guy they just signed. He's got a lot of speed. He came from New England. He's won a Super Bowl. He has experience. He's a winner. And he can stretch the field for them. They brought in Greg Olson, another uh, great tight end. He's a little older, but they have Will Disley coming off his Achilles injury at tight end. So there's some depth there. Luke Wilson comes back as well. And so the offense, I'm not really concerned about they had a great offense last year i think it was top five in the league and 
it's their defense that needs to pick it up. And I believe in Pete Carroll will make it better. And through the draft, they get a lot of picks. They can do a lot of things. So John Schneider, Pete Carroll, you're going to build up that defense. Maybe expect some trades. Maybe even last second like Clowney was. Remember Clowney happened at um, the very end of the offseason last year. No one saw it coming. So they've got about... Um, 14 million in cap space, which is a decent amount still. There's some wiggle room there. Still sign Clowney and maybe make another big trade. Yannick and Gakwe, I'm telling you, they might come out and, and go get him. So that's the Seahawks for you. Um, our next draft team, moving on to the next one, is going to be the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens had a great season last year, kind of took everyone off guard. Lamar Jackson improved a lot. He was able to pass a little better than he had the previous year, which surprised a lot of people, and they took the league by storm last year. Their offensive line, it always starts with the offensive line. They were ranked number two, according to Pro Football Focus. They were phenomenal. Their alignment. Their left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, allowed only six quarterback pressures all season. And that's the best pass-blocking season uh, per pro football focus since they started grading players back in 06. So that showed, I mean, six pressures. I mean, Russell Wilson, every one of his linemen will allow six pressures every game. It's insane, that number. Six all season from their left tackle against Lamar Jackson who, by the way, holds on to the ball super long. That's an amazing rate that the guy did, did not allow a, a rusher to come through. And uh, just six times. It that's a, just blows my mind to think uh, a guy could block that well. Um, so, they, they, yeah, they still, they've got their great offensive line still. It's all intact. It's ready to go for this next season. They're obviously a win-now type team. Most of these teams at the end of the draft, first round here, we're getting into win-now teams. You know, these are teams that are going to throw all their resources at, you know, getting better any which way they can, not necessarily thinking about the future too much. You don't want to be too reckless like the Rams or the Cowboys, but you need to, um, you know, you got to go win a Super Bowl. That's the goal, so. Um, one, one key is that Marshall Yonda, their guard, he did retire and he's a, he's going to be a first ballot hall of famer. So that's going to hurt them a little bit. Um, but I think that their, their O line is still so good that they should be fine there. And, you know, they have more margin for error because Lamar Jackson's so athletic. So even if you do allow pressures, he's going to get away from it. You know, it's a lot like Russell Wilson. You it leaves you margin for error on that O-line if you have a mobile quarterback. Picking up Calais Campbell was incredible. $10 million. I mean, that guy, he's probably going to get 10 sacks. You can probably just put that in the bank. I I actually wish my Seahawks would have traded a fifth-round pick for him. But, you know, he can't have everything. Um, hopefully we can get his teammate in, in Gakwe from Jacksonville. And 
The deal with uh, Michael Brockers um, fell through for some reason with the Ravens. I guess maybe they weren't able to test him on his physical from doctors because of the virus. Um, they couldn't. They're having trouble with that right now. I don't know. Maybe maybe they did test him, uh, uh, his physical, and maybe he didn't pass. He's kind of breaking down. He went back to the Rams, and the Rams signed him for a cheap deal. So that's good for the Rams. Um, it fell through for the Ravens, but I'm guessing Michael Brockers probably wasn't worth it, and so they, they nixed the trade deal. Um but they have a great defense as it is. They probably have the best secondary in the league. Uh, Marlon Humphreys um, and Marcus Peters now, who they traded for, excellent trade. And then they have Earl Thomas back there as well. So just shut down guys all the way around. They have Mark Ingram, uh, good running back, solid running back. Uh, Lamar Jackson, great running game, play action. Um, they're kind of an example that not always the best teams win the Super Bowl. I, I mean, they were one of the best teams last year. And, you know, we kind of saw it coming that they do have some limitations where they're not as prolific in the passing game when they are behind and teams know they have to throw. Lamar Jackson needs to take that next step and be able to be the type of quarterback that is really a distributor of the ball in every kind of route that's available and throwing guys open, fitting the ball into tight windows. He's got to take that next step as an accurate passer because right now he's kind of just the guy that they get a quick lead on somebody and they can run the ball so well that they can milk the clock and teams don't know what they're going to do. They're kind of leaning on the run game to stop it. And he can just do play action, and that defense will bite on it so much because they have to contain that run game, and he's hitting wide-open receivers all game. But we knew that in the playoffs it's a little different, and they came out, and they got sucker-punched by the Tennessee Titans, who were good enough against the run to stop it, got a good lead on them. They They were up by two touchdowns, and that's all it took, and the Ravens crumbled. And... Their Lamar Jackson isn't good enough, wasn't good enough to make big throws when the defense knows they're going to pass. So that's the breakdown. That's where the breakdown happens. That's where he has to take the next step to really be in the upper echelon of great quarterbacks. Um, but he shows promise. He works hard. I think Lamar Jackson's legit. Um, he's going to correct his mistakes I think and they're they're going to be even better for it so watch out for the Ravens they're going to be they might be my one of my Super Bowl picks I mean I'm not saying that yet I'm going to say it officially before the season starts I got to see how everything works out all these rosters and stuff but out of the AFC the Ravens uh, I don't know too many teams that are really going to be able to beat them Uh, so we'll, we'll see about that my last team, last team on the agenda this week is the Tennessee Titans, who were the ones who went on that crazy run. They beat the Ravens, shocking the Ravens. They went into New England and beat Tom Brady, gave him a pick six for his last throw as a New England Patriot. Oof, pick six. 
last throw as a Patriot. Wow. And that's going to last for all time. Man, I I don't think Brady's going to go back to New England anytime. Maybe maybe when he's 50. But now nah, I can't see it. <laughs> so pick 6, last play of your career in New England. That was a good career, no doubt about it, but that's a tough way to end it. And the Titans were able to do that. And they were able to dominate the Patriots in New England. And that was uh, pretty shocking. And um, and Mike Vrabel's their coach. He's brought a great culture there. Those guys love playing for him. You can tell. I mean, he looks like a guy that would fire you up. And when you can, when you got a coach that you'll run through a wall for, it's like inspiring. You know, it's fun to see those type of coaches. Those guys like Pete Carroll and, you know, Mike Vrabel, Andy Reid, those type of coaches that you would do anything for, that's when you've got a great mix, you know, of uh, of uh, motivated players. It's fun to see. And they, uh, they have the eighth best offensive line. So, of course, that's our number one priority. And, of course, they're good at it. They had eighth best line. It's there's it's rare to see the only team that has a bad line every year and still is good is the Seahawks. And across the board, you can look at all the rest of the playoff teams. The Eagles number one, um, and you know the Ravens number two, um, Saints number five. The only teams that have a great O line. And don't make the playoffs are the Colts and the Cowboys, which tells you a lot about those teams as well. And so O-line play, that's what we mention always first and because it just tells you so much about these different teams. And so the Titans, eighth best O-line. You know, they're they're in that if you're in that top ten, you have a, a, a good serviceable line. And so you, you're in, in a good hands there. And you know, Derrick Henry in their run game, Derrick Henry led the re- league in rushing. And that guy was just amazing to watch. I mean, huge. Uh, it, it didn't look real, him running the ball sometimes. He's just so big and so strong. And I wouldn't want to tackle him, that's for sure. But, you know, here at Maximum Sports, we don't pay running backs. And I think the Titans definitely did the right thing. Well, I mean, they, they, they went halfway. And they did franchise tag him. And I don't really like the franchise tag. You still have to pay that much for that guy for that year. Uh, but he was just so much of their offense and so big for them. Um, I can understand why they wouldn't just let him go to free agency to some degree. Although, if I'm true to my philosophies, I would let him go and replace him with someone else. And I know people probably rolling their eyes out there. How could you get rid of Derrick Henry? I don't. I just. I can't pay running backs. I can't do it because I'll. I'll bet you. I like that they franchise tagged him because they're not locked into him. Uh, for the future, so they have flexibility there. If he were to te- deteriorate this next season, get hurt, 
or you know just wear on those tires. He's had a lot of carries, a lot of hits, those car accidents like we talked about. These guys getting hit by cars, they're in car accidents every play. And they're not locked into him with that franchise tag. So they're just paying this year, which is still a lot of money. It's $10 million for a running back, but they're not bound by it for the future. So that's why I say they went halfway. Um, it does make it so that you're a little behind on the process of replacing him. But it kind of gives you that space to handle and, and still have a, a great, great running back, hopefully. But I think you're going to start to see these running backs after their first three or four years, they really slow down a lot. And that's why we don't pay them long, especially long term. You know, ask David Johnson, ask Todd Gurley, Devontae Freeman, all those big money guys. Where, ask them where they are now. They're not with the teams who originally gave them all that money. We just don't do it. And so that's the Derrick Henry situation. We'll watch that unfold. They did pay Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, that's... I probably wouldn't have given him that kind of money. And especially for that many years. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. He did have a, a good run with them. He's... He's the ninth highest paid running back, or uh, ninth highest paid quarterback now in the league. He's got $62 million fully guaranteed. And, man, he, he had, like, one good half season with the Titans. And, you know, Marcus Mariota started the season for them. And, you know, he went on a good run, but he was definitely led by Derrick Henry in that running game. I don't think he's really worth that top dollar. I don't know why you would just what why you just wouldn't go and get it get a young guy out there and and just play on. But that's just me. Um you got to have a lot of a lot of guts to make that decision. I understand it's one thing for me to say it on a podcast. It would be another if I was actually in charge of a team and actually go through with just replacing any old quarterback like that. It's what I say I would do. I would hope that I had the guts to actually do it. But it is just words from me. It's our philosophy here at Maximum Sports. We have to say what we think we would do. But these guys, they're under pressure, man. They're they're under pressure for their own from their owners, from the fans, from the media. They the Titans think they're good enough to take another run at it, and they wanted Tannehill to do it with, and so they paid him big money. We'll see how it unfolds. He's at that 10% of the salary cap, which, I mean, come on. If Russell Wilson uh, can't win at ten at over 10% of the cap, do you really think Ryan Tannehill is going to? I don't. And so we'll see how it unfolds for them. Um, I like the Titans a lot. I think they're a great team. I hope they do well next season. So uh looks like that's going to be our show for today. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you so much for listening. As always, appreciate everyone so much. And I hope everyone's staying safe out there, staying healthy. And I look forward to talking to you guys next week. All right. See ya.